they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. Shall we just give a big warm welcome to those watching online, including Kingsgate Leicester as well. It's been a big wave. Uh, it really is great to be continuing this fantastic series, Revive Us. And today we're looking at how we can experience a revival of generosity. Now, uh, for those of you who have been part of Kingsgate online over the past year or so, uh, you'll probably be familiar by now with um, our little family of three, and uh, it's been great to journey with you over the past year, uh, as or almost year now, as uh, our little lockdown baby Freddie uh, has grown during that time. As you can see from these pictures here, uh, he's grown very quickly, and um, he's not the only thing that was growing during that time. As you can see, my hair also grew to um, embarrassing lengths, it has to be said. Uh, thankfully, it's been somewhat rectified now, um, thanks uh, and, and much to the delight of uh, my wife, Chrissy. But, um, you know, I'm sure I speak on behalf of uh, all of you parents out there when I say that having your first child really does radically transform the way you live your life 24-7. Um, and that, of course, includes the way in which you handle your money. Uh, if you weren't yet aware, uh, kids can be very expensive. Um, but the uh, good news is, of course, is that uh, we give, don't we, uh, to those people who we love. We freely, joyfully and gladly spend money uh, on people or on causes that we are passionate about uh, or devoted to. And uh, that's what we see happening in the early church in this passage that we're looking at today in Acts 2. We see uh, as follows. It reads, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I'm sure when you read that passage, what's striking about it is just the kind of sheer extravagance of generosity on display. You know, there's a joyful kind of overflow happening within this community of people with regards to the way in which they handle their possessions. And, you know, you might have noticed a running theme throughout this Reviver series is that this, is that if we are to experience a revival, then Jesus really does need to be first place in every area of our lives. And that, of course, includes our money. But I believe firmly and have experienced in my own life that when we get God in his rightful place in this area, when we put him first, we experience a radical transformation, much like what we see in the early church here. We experience that the peace of God over our income, over our finances, instead of fear or, or worry or, 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 or anxiety, we experience the protection of God over our jobs, over our businesses, over our finance. 
We experience the supernatural provision of God as well as he provides for our every need. So much so that we are able to give to those people around us, to make a lasting difference in people's lives, not just in this lifetime, but for all eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I want more of that in my life. And so I believe that as we look at and learn from this example in the early church, we are going to experience a revival of generosity uh, that is not just going to transform our lives, but the lives of those around us as well. And there's a couple of ways in which I believe we can do this. It's by first getting the right perspective of generosity, which will then lead to us living lifestyles of generosity. So firstly, getting a right perspective of generosity. It's clear from the early church that they had a perspective that not just freed them, but also fueled a lifestyle of generosity. And the first thing to say about generosity is this, is that before we come on to look at uh, what's in our hands, you know, our possessions or our money, we first need to look at what's in our heads. Before we talk about handling our money, we need to talk about how we handle our mindsets. So how do we get the right perspective when it comes to generosity? Well, a couple of ways. The first one is this is to see ourselves as stewards, not as owners. We are stewards, not owners. What do I mean by this? Well, I think the problem with our culture today is that we're told, aren't we, that everything that we have is ours. You know, it's my money, my car, my house, and it's nobody else's. The problem with this is that it's not biblically true. Uh, we need to first recognise that everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from God. And in the Psalms it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, God is the ultimate owner of our possessions. Everything that we have comes from him. And you see, this is a radical game-changing perspective, I believe, because if we see ourselves not as stewards but as owners, what happens then is we inevitably carry the weight of that ownership responsibility. When you say, I'm an owner, what you're essentially saying is, I'm in control. And the problem is, is that we were never designed to carry the weight of that responsibility. It can lead to opening up the door to all kinds of temptations. On, on the one hand, it can maybe be materialism, of trying to accumulate more and more stuff. Then on the other hand, it can be maybe the fear of lack, Worrying about the future. Why? Because you're in control. You've got to make this happen. You've got to make it work. The good news is, is that when we see ourselves not as owners but as stewards, we can experience a wonderful peace and a freedom and a security that comes from handing that responsibility back to God. Saying, God, this is yours. It's not mine. I'm simply here to steward that which you entrust to me. And it breaks the temptations of either materialism on the one hand or the fear of lack on the other. Because what it does is it enables us not to be so turned in on ourselves, if you like, but frees us to look out to those around us. We see this wonderfully displayed in the early church. Later on in Acts, it says this, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. There it is right there. They didn't see themselves as owners. What's the response then? They shared everything that they had. Because they didn't see themselves as owners, but as stewards, they were able to look out 
to meet the needs of those around them. You know, I remember a few years ago, Chrissy and I very nearly bought our first house. We saved up a deposit, uh, we had a mortgage agreed, and we had an offer accepted on the house that just seemed perfect. It was called Hope House. What a great name that is. It was number seven as well. Great number, of course. And it had a bath with a jacuzzi feature in it as well. Now, how many of you know, if you need the right house, it needs to have a great name, a great number, and a bath with a jacuzzi feature in it. Now, I, I wanted this house for all the wrong reasons, just, that's just to say. Um, but the, the thing is, is that later on, the house kind of fell through at the last minute. The owners just pulled out and they decided they didn't want to sell. And I remember quite embarrassed to admit this to you now, actually, but I remember feeling really gutted. Uh, I was just so annoyed and frustrated that it had fallen through. I actually felt, can you believe it, physically sick uh, about the whole thing. Chrissy had a far more godly and gracious response to the whole thing. Um, but I remember in that moment, God kind of gently just reminded me, hold on a minute, have you kind of misaligned a few things here? Are you seeing yourself as an owner in this situation. And I realised I had. I'd been, I'd been seeing myself as owning this situation, owning these possessions. And, and I, I was trying to control, inevitably, this whole scenario. That's why I was so stressed out and anxious and kind of frustrated about it. And so as soon as I handed it back to God, I repented and said, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, you are the owner. You're in control. I give it back to you. I can honestly say I experienced a wonderful peace that came. And to cut a long story short, a few months later, we were able to buy our first house, and it was way better than Hope House. doesn't have a bath or a jacuzzi feature in it, but I've gotten over that now. And so we now are able to enjoy this house as stewards, not as owners. You know, on the one hand, I'm not, I can genuinely say I'm not worried about you know, paying the mortgage or, or meeting the bills or that fear of lack. On the other hand, I'm not proud of being boastful about the house or getting trapped in materialism. We can simply steward the house well, look out to be generous with it as a result. And it brings a wonderful freedom. Now, how are you doing in this area? You know, are you kind of seeing yourself as, a, as an owner or as a steward? I think the pandemic over the past year really has heightened these temptations either of materialism on the one hand or the fear of lack on the other. Can I encourage you, give that responsibility back to God and experience the peace that comes from having this perspective. The second kind of perspective that helps us get the right perspective on generosity is this, is that generosity is an eternal investment. You see, material things will fade away, won't they? They won't last forever. But the promise of God is that an investment in his kingdom will last forever. Robert Morris, who's an absolute expert on this topic, he says this, he says, material things are temporary, fleeting, prone to rust, decay, and deterioration. But in contrast, the things of God are eternal. 100,000 years after that car you've just got to have has turned to rusty powder, the souls you've impacted for the kingdom of God will still be around. Now, isn't that an amazing quote? Now, there's nothing wrong with buying a new car or, or saving, but I think what Morris is rightly reminding us here is that when it comes to handling our possessions, we need to do that with an eternal perspective. 
In other words, we have an opportunity to use our money to make an investment in things that are going to last forever. Isn't that incredible? You know, we see this again in the early church. It says, God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. Just get that for a moment. Isn't that amazing? No needy persons. You know, I love being part of a church family that, as we heard earlier in the service, generously gives to those around us who are in need and partners with charities who do the same, both nationally and internationally. Dare we believe that we might experience a revival of generosity, so much so that where we are based, the communities in which we reside, that there would be no needy persons among us. Dare we believe and pray and have faith for that in our lifetime. You know, it reminds me of the wonderful passage uh, in Matthew 6. Jesus himself says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, when you pause and reflect on your financial decision-making, does it say that you are handling your possessions with an eternal perspective? To use the words of Jesus, what does your bank balance say about your heart? Where is your heart? Where does the money freely flow to? Can I encourage all of us to have this eternal perspective? Because an investment in the kingdom of God is an investment that will last forever. It's the best investment you can ever make. So I believe that we can get the right perspective on generosity as we see ourselves not as owners but as stewards. And then secondly, to see that we uh, can give uh, that has an eternal impact. And this, of course, will lead us to have or be empowered to live a lifestyle of generosity. Now, when we look at this early church passage, I'm sure it's kind of striking, it's, it's just inspiring, but it's also challenging as well. I don't know about you, but it challenges me when I read this passage. Um, but the thing is, I want to encourage you not to be intimidated by it, if you like. It's such high-end generosity, isn't it? It's just extravagant. Don't be intimidated by it, though. Be inspired by it. Think about what that next step is that you can take on your journey of generosity. We're all at different stages, and that's okay, but just think about, okay, what's the next step I can take? And thankfully, in 1 Corinthians, a few years later, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, gives a wonderful practical model that we can follow that will enable us to take that next step. He says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Essentially what Paul is saying here is that a lifestyle of generosity it can happen in two ways. Firstly, by putting God first in our finances, and then secondly, being proactive with our finances. So firstly, put God first in our finances. The way in which we do this is by putting into practice the biblical model that is told in the Old Testament, affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament, which essentially is this, that when we receive income, whatever, wherever that might come from, income, the first thing we do with that is to give to God. 
Now, why? Well, if God is going to be Lord of all of our lives, he needs to be Lord of our finances, doesn't he? And so the best way of doing this is to put into, into practice the biblical model of the tithe, tithe meaning tenth, giving the first 10% of your income into the local church as an act of worship. Now, one of the best passages, I think, in the Old Testament on the principle of the tithe is Proverbs 3. It says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, there it is, of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, as we've already seen, God owns everything. So tithing on one level is simply returning back to God what is already his. But the great thing about tithing is that when you give that 10% to God and trust him in that area, the 90% that you're left with, it comes under his lordship, it comes under his protection, and ultimately it comes under, as we see here, his blessing as well. God wants to give to you so that the barn of your life wouldn't just be full, but it would be filled to overflowing. He wants to fill the vats of your life not just with any old wine, but with new wine brimming, bubbling over. God wants to bless you, in other words, so that you can be a blessing to others. Now, of course, we don't give in order to get from God, but the promise of God is that we will be able to get to give. And I don't know about you, but after this last year in particular, I want to, I'd much rather trust God, if you like, with that 10% and live on the 90%, then go my own way and keep the 100% and try and work it out on my own. Life can be very, very unpredictable. So where are you at in this regard? You know, if you've been tithing for many years, some of you probably decades, I just want to encourage you to keep on trusting God. Maybe you haven't yet started on the journey. And can I encourage you? This is honestly one of the best decisions you can ever make, to trust God in this area. Now, I acknowledge that for... For many of you, this last year might have been the most difficult year financially for you. And I don't want to belittle that at all. I really don't want to make light of that. But I simply want to encourage you and remind you, if you like, of the promises of God and his word. And wherever we're at on this journey, I want to remind you of this amazing promise uh, in Malachi 3 um, that says this. It says, bring the whole tithe, there it is, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. What a promise that is. I pray that you would receive that afresh today. The great thing about putting God first in our finances is that it positions us to then be able to give above and beyond the tithe as well. I want to remind you today, tithing isn't the end of the journey of generosity. It's the start of the journey of generosity. And so when we put God first, we can then secondly be proactive with our finances. To go back to the passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, every week each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Now, Paul is highlighting the need to be proactive in regularly giving. You know, if we are to experience a revival of generosity, I believe it's going to take some intentionality and planning on our part. And so I think one of the best ways, firstly, to do this is by setting up, if you haven't yet done so already, a standing order. So that at the beginning of the month, your tithe, your offering above and beyond the tithe, and 
any other giving goes out as soon as that income comes in. For others of us, it might be to get a hold of our finances. Like Paul says here, set aside proportionally some money in keeping with your income. Now, when Christy and I first got married, um, we decided to put a budget together. And believe me, I am the last person who would get out a spreadsheet and start doing some maths. Maths is very low on my skill set. But I can honestly say it's one of the best decisions I ever made. You know, to get a hold of what's coming in, you know, knowing what's going out. Save, have a boiler fund, have savings for the future or for big investments. Get some advice, get some help, you know, that we've got. We've got courses available for you if you need that. And importantly, as Paul says here, in that when you budget, try and make sure that you have giving as part of that budget. In other words, try and budget in order that you can bless. Now, I remember a few years ago, um, I was praying about what to give into the Kingsgate annual special offering, above and beyond the tithe, and felt the Lord give me a figure. And so we budgeted about it, we prayed about it, and we gave in faith. And then we just began to see God provide for us in supernatural ways. I remember a few months after Uh, giving into the special offering, we got an unexpected letter through the door from a bank telling me that a student loan had just been cancelled. They'd paid it off. The next year, I felt God um, tell me, when it came to giving into the special offering, to double the amount that we'd given the previous year. So we, we planned, we budgeted for it, and we gave in faith. Just a few weeks after we made that decision, Chrissy received an unexpected job offer for exactly double the amount that she was currently on. So, much, so the next year, what happened was that we then felt that God telling us to keep on doubling. So double the amount again from the previous year. Double in faith, in faith to give double the amount from the previous year. So again, we budgeted, we planned, we gave in faith. And again, that year, we saw God just supernaturally provide for us in so many ways, so much so that the following year, when it came to pray about what to give again into the annual Kingsgate offering, we didn't have to pray very long about it because we knew that God was telling us again, double the amount that you'd given the year before. Now, this at this point was a significant amount for us and we we just felt that it was from God. We felt that it was the right thing to do. So we gave in faith. And this is where it gets quite ridiculous, frankly, because we gave on the Sunday into the annual special offering The Monday, the next day, we received a tax rebate for exactly the the amount we had just pledged to give from the previous year in double. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this, uh, and just to say as an aside, we haven't had a Kingsgate annual special offering this year yet. We are having one in the autumn, and we're planning and preparing for it, and I'd encourage you to do the same. And, you know, The reason why I tell you this story isn't because I'm telling you, well, what do I need to do with my finances? Do I need to keep doubling every year? No, that was just a specific word for us for a season. But the reason why I am telling you this is because you cannot outgive God. It's as simple as that. God is so good. He's an open-handed, loving, heavenly Father. And when you trust Him in this area, honestly, it's one of the best decisions you will ever make. So I just want to encourage you to keep putting Him first, to be proactive with your finances. And the great thing about being proactive with your finances is that it not just enables you to give strategically, like an annual offering, but also spontaneously as well. You know, I'm sure 
We all want to be those people who are able to just spontaneously meet the needs of those people around us, you know, as and when those needs arrive, or just, or just to be generous in life. You know, and so can I encourage us, let's think about ways in which we can be spontaneous. It can be as simple as just paying for someone's coffee or just paying for a meal now that we're able to go out or, or generously tipping the waiter who's serving you or just meeting a, a need for someone who's in your life. You know, I certainly want to get better at this. I think I'm good strategically, but I want to be better spontaneously. Uh, and the great thing is that we can be when we are proactive in our finances. You know, I've loved hearing some of the stories within our life groups over this past year in particular, rallying around, meeting the needs of people within those little communities, whether it's been, you know, delivering food or paying for meals, or on one instance I heard a life group all chipping in together to pay for someone's washing machine, and pay for a new washing machine that somebody within the group so desperately needed. You know, I love it. I love uh, those spontaneous kind of acts of giving. And, you know, it reminds me again of what's going on a little bit in, in the early church. You know, that spontaneous, joyful overflow within community. So as I kind of bring this message to a close, I just want to pray and believe that we as a church family would experience a revival of generosity as we first get the right perspective of generosity, to see ourselves not as owners, but as stewards, hand that back to God, to then realise that what we do with our money really does have an eternal impact, and then live lifestyles of generosity as a result, to put God first and be proactive. And, and let's dare to believe that we would experience this revival of generosity within our mix that would not just impact our own lives, but it would impact the lives of those people around us, those people within our communities, dare we believe, the cities within which we reside, this nation within which we reside, and the nations. Come on, let's dare to believe that there would be a revival of generosity, that lives would be transformed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd just like to close um, today by praying for two groups of people in particular. And just as we pray together now, wherever you're watching this from, at home um, and in the room, if you're able to, would you stand with me? I'd love just to lead us in a time of prayer together. The first group of people I'd like to pray for are those maybe who are just kind of checking out church for the first time. Maybe this is the first time you're watching a Kingsgate service and you're just kind of checking out maybe Christianity. And so I'd like to pray for you first. You know, as I started in, in this message, uh, the, the truth is, is that we need to first recognise that everything that we have comes from God. Every breath that we take is a gift from Him. And you might say, well, Josh, you know, why, why do we give to God? Why do we give Him our first and our best and all this kind of stuff? Well, putting it quite frankly, the reason why we do that is because God gave us his first and his best in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who came and through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection has made a way for all of us to be forgiven, to be set free, to receive life in all its fullness, both now and for all eternity. In other words, he's given us something that is far better than all the riches that we can find in this world. And so if you would like to receive that gift today for Jesus to come into your life by his spirit, 
All you need to do is pray a simple prayer, inviting him in. And I'd like to lead you in that prayer now. So if you'd like to join in with this prayer, just in your heart as I pray, I'm going to pray almost like on your behalf, but you can join in with me as I pray this prayer. So Father God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you, Jesus, that you gave totally of yourself for me. And through all that you've done on the cross for me, I choose to turn away from my, own, my old life. I'm sorry, Lord, for going my own way. Today I choose to put my faith and trust in you. And I receive you into my life right now by your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And I look forward now to this new life with you, both now and for all eternity. Amen. Amen. I'd just like to close by secondly praying for that second group of people, for us as a church family, really. You know, throughout this series, we've been talking about putting Jesus first in our lives, first with our devotion, first in unity, first in a sense of awe, first in prayer and worship, the way in which we handle our daily lives, whatever it may be. And often we can overlook our finances and money and kind of relegate it to down the list. But actually, you know, it's incredibly, incredibly important. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You know, when we invest in the kingdom of God, we firstly experience a transformation in our hearts. We experience the peace of God, the love of God, the security of God. So much so that we can not just be so consumed with our own lives, but we can focus, like the early church, on the needs of those around us. You know, I think this pandemic, as I said earlier, it really has heightened those temptations. Some of us might have more money than we've ever had before. Others of us might have less money than we've ever had before. And everybody else is obviously somewhere in between. It's impacted us in so many different ways. But I think there is a temptation to consolidate in this season, to kind of hold back and to wait and see how things turn out. But I just want to encourage you, now is not a time to wait and see. Now is a time to trust in God, to put him first, to to take him at his word, to test him in this and see that he will not open up the windows of heaven over our lives. And so I want to pray for us right now. I want to pray in this moment. I firmly believe, I just sense the Holy Spirit here right now. He's going to stir up faith. He's going to bring about a revival of generosity in our mix that's going to bring about a revival full stop. (laughs) And so if you want to receive this prayer, I want to pray Proverbs 3 over us. And if you want to receive this prayer today, I just want to encourage you to put out your hands in front of you as a way of saying, firstly, God, everything I, I, I have is from you. I acknowledge that. But also, Lord, I'm, I'm putting out my hands because I'm ready to, to trust in you and I'm ready to receive from you so that I can be open-handed to those around me. And so let me pray this, this over you. Lord, Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would come by the power of your Spirit and that, Lord, we would just remind ourselves right now of your promise that when we trust you, with our wealth, with our finances, when we put you first, with the first fruits of all of our crops, the Lord, the the promise of your word is that our barns would be filled to overflowing. 
our vats will be brimming over with new wine. Lord, I pray right now that you would bring about a revival of generosity as we put our trust in you, as we put our faith in you. We would dare to believe that in this next season, that we would dare to believe that in, maybe in our lifetimes we would see a time where there would be no needy persons among us, that you would pour out, Lord, blessing in our lives and it would overflow into the communities, into the cities, into this nation and the nations as a result. Lord, bring about a revival through a revival of generosity. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's worship together. Thank you.